thank you for being here. Uh, just a quick thing. I'm, I'm not professor, actually, because thanks for the, uh, the, the very quick time of American uh, immigration services. I had to give up my job since I'm, the visa was not there after 10 months. Uh, just not to, uh, to claim a profession I don't, I don't do uh, too bad. Uh, but um, okay, so today I like to talk about um, approaches and uh, a lot of my work, I, I, I do radio, radio, but probably in a very different way that uh, much of you do. Uh, but a lot of the, the work I do in music has been based on uh, uh, going out and meeting people on the field. I've been doing it, uh, you know, not looking for stories, not uh, looking for, uh, just the meeting was my, the starting material for what I, I wanted to do. And, uh, and I always felt really bad, like a few minutes before um, I, I, I was about to meet people. Like I, um, I found myself being in uh, hotel rooms and thinking, okay, I have to go out this morning and I have to find them, I have to meet them, and it really scare, scared me a lot. Uh, so, for example, uh, you know, I remember going to, uh, I did this project last year where um, I went to Naples to have people, random people in Naples, sing along to voices of um, Neapolitan Renaissance composer Carlo Gesualdo. Uh, so I prepared all the single voices from the Madrigal, and uh, and the idea was I I go out and meet the Neapolitans, and uh, they listen those voice those single voices from the Madrigal, and then I put all them together, um, overdub so I can recreate the original polyphony. But of course, all it's a great idea. Uh, <laughs> It's really conceptually fantastic. And uh, so the first day I'm there and like I have to leave the hotel and it's like, oh my God, how am I gonna do that? It's like, um, it, it took one day. Actually, I, f I found every possible excuse uh, not to go out, not to. So I think there is a lot of implications uh, when, when, when you meet somebody and you want somebody from, uh, you want something from, from a person. And, uh, and I'd li like to talk a little bit uh, about it. I'd like to hear your experiences about it. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's right that moment you go there and you have your bag and you pull out this tangle of cables and uh, and it's like a mess and like you, you wanna you are on the side is like okay I, I want to be relaxed and now mm -hmm. this person I mean this person is here to talk to me and I'm we are both relaxed we have time so I can just unplug it and find a way to untangle this cable no maybe I, I should hurry up because <laughs> This person has no time and is already a little bit pissed and doesn't know what I want, so he just pulled the cable out. Um, so this makes things worse, like the cable untangles even more, and uh, the person starts 
looking at this cable and it's like, look, this is interesting all the way. And it's like, no, oh my God, it's like, I, I want to make an interview. Uh, what, and I think what, it's this person thinking I'm professional, unprofessional, and this person is looking at the cable and it's like, oh, this has looked like one of those Polynesian uh, maps for navigation. <laughs> uh, and it's like, okay, that's, no, wait a minute. I, I, I looked for one of those maps and I couldn't find actually those made of knots, but <laughs> I find several online made of sticks. <laughs> and uh, this is, I mean, this is a Polynesian navigation map. And uh, so this person is looking at my cable and it's like, oh, that's. I probably can read something in here, <laughs> and uh, and I think, yeah, he probably can. Um, but still, I'm worried. I'm very worried what this person thinks of me. It's like, what what do you think is what is my job, and uh, what do you think, you know, like why I'm doing it? Am I serious enough? Am I taking something away from you? And this person like, oh, maybe I can read your future in this uh, abstract shape. And uh, like, for example, um, talking about Naples. In Naples, they, I think they do it in Turkey in many several places, they read um, the bottom of I fondi del caffè, the bottoms of coffee cups. And uh, so, I have some examples here uh, <laughs> that probably can tell something about my profession and why the seriousness of <laughs> all this. And, uh, and then, like, something has come to my mind because this person seems suddenly very interested in, in those abstract shapes that are coming up from the mess that coming out from my bag and is like some sort of divination. And, uh, and this makes me think, okay, divination of, of abstract textures. And, and uh, I think of a, a, very, a very interesting thing of, um, that I saw when I, was, when, when I went to the Dogon country. They do this um, divination of the pale fox where they draw sort of comic strips on the sand like you go to old people in the village and um, and ask about uh, a question, some, something important, and they know a sort of a secret language, and they draw a sort of a comic strip in in in, in different like a um, yeah this, they they write down the story with different symbols, and they leave peanuts. So during the night, uh, the white fox comes and eat the peanuts and leave trucks, and then they read, uh, they read um, the trucks, and and they can find out something about it. So this is the recorder I use, and um, and this is the microphone I use. It's, um, so at this point, I'm completely focused on those and the person in front of me is, is waiting for a question and uh, I am scared that this person 
would come up with a question before before I do, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so I have to figure out how to make this thing um, work. And um, so this person asked me, so what what do you do? And I say I work for a German radio station, which is my standard uh, answer because sounds very um, official in a way. And uh, it sounds very official in my head, but every time I say that, like succumbing my weakness, it's like I work for a German radio station. And I see like the German radio station materializing in the imagination of my interview partner, who absolutely has no idea what does it mean. Like I, if I start looking in his eyes and I see something like a device or a antenna somewhere in the middle of the fields. It's really like um, I'm thinking, okay, this, this is a well-established institution uh, in the capital city of Germany, which has, is well-known and has a wide audience. But most of the time, the people in front of me really have no idea what I'm talking about. They imagine something like, I don't know, I try to figure out what, I work for a radio, German radio station, what does it mean? Uh, what is a German radio station uh, for them? And uh, some of them can imagine a black box, so that's a German radio station where <laughs> things happen. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's always a difficult moment, and so this is the German radio station where I, even not an employee, I, I work for them sometimes. <laughs> and uh, okay, so at this point, I I start talking and I start asking questions and. Um, and I can reveal a little bit more of what I want and what I need. Um, most of most of my work is is based on the musicality of spoken language. That means that I I really like to work musically with the way people speak, with the way their voice sounds while they're speaking. Uh, I like to work on the sound of their languages. I like to work on the noise of the languages. I like to work on languages of that I don't understand. And, uh, and most of the time, it's probably hard for people in front of me to understand that I'm already extremely fascinated by the way they speak uh, before I start thinking about what they're talking about, which is, of course, part of it. And um, I I think I've gathered a certain experience in interviews where I really wasn't uh, talking the language or uh, understanding um, what the other person was was saying. And, um, and I want to play you, for example, um, I, I, I did this series of pieces um, 
for which were portraits of of languages I I don't understand uh, two years ago. So I I, I met. Uh, it was a monthly in installment for German radio station, and uh, um, I met people. I I choose languages. I like the sound, and I. And I met the people speaking those languages, I, I, I figured it out. And then I was just me and this person, and was like, okay, now I have to interview this person in his language, but I don't speak Zulu, uh, I don't speak Basque language. Um, so one, one, one thing that, that worked pretty well once with Basque language was um, having two guys, and uh, I interviewed them together. And so I, I had them starting interact with each other. And I started just have it raw, in a way. And the whole thing started having them looking for, just playing a game of, game of free uh, associations, like one say a word, the other one say another word. And, uh, and I just tried to say, to put them in relation uh, with each other. And um, so this is the piece that came out of it. And it's called Lida and Mikael looking for rhymes. Jatea. Echea. Cochea. Croqueta. Kerak, 
So this, this was, um, uh, there, there is another piece from, from this series where I found myself alone in the studio in front of a, of a, a Zulu woman. Uh, she's, she speaks Zulu and Kosa, uh, I can't pronounce the click uh, consonant. I think it's something like Kosa or Kosa. Um, and I was, of course, very fascinated by those languages because those languages have extra click consonants. And uh, I started making up a whole thing in my mind like, oh, this is those clicks in digital domain. Uh, and clicks in language, what's the notion of click? And click is uh, when you break a wave, like if you have a, a, a signal and you cut it very quick and then you digitally get a, a click. So um, I thought I'll try to work on something about it. And of course this woman had no idea of what I was talking about, uh, but I mean, since I was talking about kind of electronic music nerd talk, uh, trying to make understandable to her. But of course she knew about waves and she came from a place where there's a big beaches and uh, huge waves. And so she started to talk about it. And uh, I had her, she started impersonating two, uh, two different uh, characters telling each other about the place she was from and um, and I recorded this this wonderful language <laughs> Maga, 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 Maga,
I think th those were two examples like where obviously uh, the approach was was difficult or was impossible in a way. Um, and at this point, I I'd like to to hear a little bit before I go on. I'll be curious to hear from you, like if you what is what is your feeling like. One split second before you start asking the first question. What uh, I'll, I'll be curious to have some uh, share some experience about it because I'm I'm sure there is people here that a lot of people that that, that. all right. I have no problem talking to anybody. Like in the supermarket, we'll talk about the cheese we're buying, all that stuff. But when I have a microphone in my hand, my instant thought. I, I just totally change. It's like I feel like I'm invading their privacy, and there's this fear of rejection. Um, it's completely different from the way I feel when I'm just hanging out in an elevator. As soon as I get the gear out, even if it's simple, small gear that's really unobtrusive, I personally um, am really weirded out about doing on-the-fly recording. Mm -hmm. So this is this is more about your fear of like the the power you have on this person time or uh, or, or not. I wonder what, where I'm coming from, what uh -huh. my agenda is. Um, I guess people not not trusting my intentions. Uh -huh. Now when I'm just talking to people, I don't care if you trust my intention or not. We'll chat and it doesn't work out. I want to right. off, but. If I'm trying to record people and, and capture something, I I fear that they aren't going to trust my heart. Right. 
I always try to tell people at the beginning of any interview, especially if it's a man on the street type of thing, that I'm not here to make you sound bad, and I am editing this, so if you mm -hmm. goof up, um, I, I, it will not get on the air. I'm not, you know, the Daily Show doing uh, some mm -hmm. kind of <laughs> sort of gotcha type of thing, because there's this, really these days, there's just this inherent distrust of the media in, in a lot of ways. So I, I tend to approach it that way, and then the challenge I have is, is thinking, okay, what's, what's the next question going to be? How do I keep this conversation moving to get the soundbite I'm looking for? Because I'm thinking kind of in sound bites as I'm doing this, but then, again, you have that personal interaction with people, and you have to maintain the normal social graces at the same time you're trying to work. Right. But at the same time, you want something. I mean, like you say, if you goof up, that's... I won't use it. But you're already cutting out, I mean, goofing up is, could mean a lot of things and could, could contain, I mean, you, you're doing a big sacrifice in, as a radio author, do you? Like, the, the, there must be a lot of... By goof up, I mean, if somebody is saying something and they misspeak, they want to start over again, I want to make them right. feel comfortable that they, they can do that. Right. And I, I, I think, Everyone, especially me with a microphone, is, is more at ease when it's, it's an easier situation. It's always, I mean, just going up to anybody, any stranger with a microphone anywhere, is, there's, there's a certain awkwardness to it because it's not something that happens every day. And it's, I guess we're not really socially programmed to deal with a situation like that mm -hmm. as you would be, you know, passing somebody on the subway. You know, there's, there's that normal social interaction, there's, there's a certain set of expectations that people may not necessarily be clued into when they're approached by somebody with a microphone. Right. But what if, like I make a more precise example, um, I had big difficulties with Native Americans in this extent. Um, I approached tribal councils, I approached different communities to record a language mostly. Of course, I was interested about everything about them, uh, being a European, not knowing about it. But I never, ever, ever found so much uh, defensiveness and fear of being misrepresented. And uh, so the question I, I, I ask you guys, like, if you get asked of, um, like the person you're interviewing say, okay, I'm going to talk to you, but then I want to edit with you. Huh? Like I want to edit. And you have the feeling that this person is going to cut away almost everything because this person is very scared, uh, has an history of misrepresentation. And, you know, wow, if this person is going to edit my recording, there's, there's going to be nothing... Uh, much left, or th there is not been nothing much left different than what is the uh, tribal tribal cons council spokesman that make you that uh, in introductory introductory tour at the Native American Museum. You know, it's kind of very standardized version of things. Um, so I wonder, what what would you would you do? Would you if you get asked? Uh, about that, would you would you say, yeah, sure, let let's do well, it? Well, I, I I would say, 
I guess it, it explain the concept of, of radio production to people who aren't in it. I, I don't think most people realize how much work goes into editing things down and, and mm -hmm. writing and all that. But I guess the point that I want to try and get across to people by saying I'm editing you, that I, I, you, you could add to that that I'm not here to misrepresent any, anything you say. I want to I want to hear what you say and I want to present it to someone else and, as accurately as possible without. With, with, you know, within time constraints, um, but by, by by being accurate, mm -hmm. if you can see what I'm getting at. Yeah. I mean, make make it sound that editing mm -hmm. will will work in 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 the interview subjects' favor. Right. I'm just curious in in your process. Do you share with people an example of uh, your previous work to give them a sense of? I. Sometimes I do. Most of the time there is no time, so I I like offer it. But of course, people like my problem is like, of, I, I'm I'm sure you know. Like you 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 get an appointment with somebody and there's no time. You know, it's like I, I they, so I try to explain. And I uh, most of the time I have an hour time. Like this German radio station thing. I am not a documentarist. I can play different cards because I am a composer, but I work with spoken material, so I, I try to play by ear and I think, okay, like I try to, to unfortunately that to, to get somebody really interested in is, is much longer. The, the, the first thing is like a judgment, is this person professional or serious or important? That's also like the, the, the thing, you know, and uh, and, and there is this popularity factor, like you work for radio, so people are going to see you in TV. Um, I'm sure you all know about it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested uh, in what people that you've done these pieces about think, because when you're saying, you know, that they're worried about being misrepresented, and, and at some point, like a traditional approach where you're, you're translating, you know, in some ways you are putting them in a box and you're inherently kind of putting your view on what you see. Mm -hmm. But what you're doing in some ways, I mean, you could say, okay, well, you're not putting that in, them in that, you're not ex over explaining it so that people can kind of think what they want. But on the other hand, by using their voices as musical instruments, there's also something where you're kind of exoticizing them in the same way. It's sure. curious what <coughs> sure. people think about it. Sure, and, and I think, um, well, my answer to that is that I'm by no means innocent. Um, I am voyeuristic. I am exoticizing. And I see my work as a process of dealing with those things. Uh, of course, I cannot tell it this way, but this is, uh, this is definitely true. And I want something from them. I, I firmly believe that when you record somebody, you are taking something away from the person. But I also firmly believe that you, that not all transactions should be commercial transactions. I don't think, I think that, sure, there is stuff that is property has, has not taken away, but I think it's, it's great that we can have still a lot of things that we can take and give for, for free. And we can expect people giving us as, you know. So this is, but yeah, like I'm, I'm aware, like 
what you said before like make me think what one thing I'm scared is also like when I start talking with somebody I start editing this person time because I want something good coming out from there so it's like when I talk to somebody here it's like I'm not starting to think Oh, like from that sentence to that <laughs> sentence, <laughs> that was good. Oh, this this stuff. Like so, but in the back of my mind, when I talk to somebody for an interview, I'm 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 taking away stuff and I'm already editing uh, it while and and I, I want to get stuff. So I, I like the way you asked us the question before of what does it feel like in that in that moment. And, and we, I think, I mean, a lot of us do very different things. You do very different things than what I do with, with the tape. I think you're right. We always want something. And we don't want something that normal humans want from each other when they talk to each other. We want something different. But we're kind of pretending like it's a normal conversation at the same time. And it reminds me a lot of when you asked me how I felt or how we felt of when um, the cat or the dog escapes the house, maybe your house sitting or maybe you have a dog or a cat and, and the dog and, or the cat, I'll say the cat, is outside kind of hanging out and you want to get the cat back inside but so you open the door and then you kind of hang out with the cat, you don't run at the cat because you don't want, and you don't want the cat to realize that you're chasing it and trying to get it back in the house. So you kind of pretend like everything's fine and the door is just open and it's perfectly fine. But meanwhile, in the back of your mind, you're like, how can I get that cat back into the house the whole time? And once I get the cat in the house, I'm going to close the door as soon as I possibly can. So and that's like cats. <laughs> it is like, and that's that's what it feels like to me. It feels like I I am, and then maybe if deep down. Whoever I'm talking to actually understood what I was trying to do. Maybe I wouldn't have to be deceptive like that. But I think it's just too complex to explain what I want from them. And so I, I have to go through this charade of pretending like we're just talking here, and you know, maybe they don't even know when I've turned the recorder on, and I'm not really pointing the microphone at them at first, and then I am, and they didn't notice when I started recording. And, and I'm always trying to do it that way. And, and you know, I wish there was some way of just being able to really simply say. This is what I want from you, and yeah. let's try to, to do it. But I don't know how to do it. I just kind of well. This 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 is great, and takes me to actually animals. It takes me to to the next step. Really, something I wanted to to talk about because one of the big problem is how do you sort out your recordings? It was was very interesting to hear this morning Julie asking uh, I forgot his name, but about the guy who made this wonderful piece about uh, his daughter and like how do you go through all this material. And uh, so the point is, you're editing somebody's time, you starting making, writing down tags right when you're hearing that person. But what are, uh, how do we really figure out, uh, like, how to, to sort out this material? I was, for example, um, very, um, there, there is a sound artist which I really admire. His name is Chris Watson. Uh, he's a, soundscapist, I would call it, or field recordist. Um, he's a guy who's been doing a lot of amazing field recordings of nature, um, animals. It, he's done a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, but there is one record which I really like, um, which is called Inside a Circle of Fire, Outside a Circle of Fire, which is recordings of animals. And Chris Watson is really a master of technique recordings and approach 
approaches recording. Like he's somebody who would run 100 meters, which I don't know how much is in feet, but very long, of cable, just to have a mic in the middle of a group of birds. Or, um, and recently, I, I always thought, how oh, this guy, this guy must be, you know, must be listening to, must be go on with tons of cassettes. And, uh, and then a friend of mine recently worked with him for a project in the Italian mountains. And uh, she just told me something that just sounded like the discovery of warm water. And she said, well, you know, we spend nights over in the mountains in the car, like we place the mics and we, we listen a lot. But when he was recording, he recorded always three minutes, five minutes, you know. So this was extremely, uh, extremely fascinating to me because like, what this guy is doing is, I mean, he's one of his main performance. The, the main performance is his li listening. It's, it's really the pleasure of, he sits and listens and listens and listens. Then sometimes he press rec. Um, but, I, I, and I thought, why, why I always thought he would record all this? Um, and I, I thought, also, what are the technique? Now, now again, I have a question for you. Like, what are the technique? Of, like, for me, I have techniques for sorting out materials. They're basically uh, probably three, three ways. And one way is recording, like listening to everything, writing down everything, and trying down to to figure really. I like with the pig. You know, you don't throw away anything. So it's like. Uh, how can I use every single thing, or what's really good? The second way is uh, I, I won't listen to it, I just take what stick to my memory. So I recorded 10 hours of stuff, but I just trust what stayed here, because if it stayed here means there was something that, that resonated with me. Uh, the third way is a Max MSP patch that I don't know if you if you saw my installation. Uh, <laughs> that is this that chooses randomly in a file, <laughs> and this actually works sometimes. And uh, it's also like it's. I think this is a good medicine um, to try to heal that attitude of listening to somebody thinking about seeing a waveform on a Pro Tools session in his forehead, you know, uh, because, yeah, I don't know, like, I, I work with this, with this producer in, uh, um, for a documentary right now, and his name is Ingo Kotkamp, and when I contact him, he says, look, I, oh, you are a sound artist mostly, so you want to do a documentary, uh, explaining how how do you want to do that and I um, and I thought like he, as, he, as, as he talked I understood I, I was preceded by a reputation of the kind of anything goes guy because I everything I record like I just can take everything but I I like 
this attitude of listening to somebody and in a way really like you're looking for the very very uh, important passage but everything could be interesting and this is the third approach and this is this but I'm kind of meandering and I, I like to go back to Chris Watson and I, I took some recordings of him and I have um, for example this one I really like it's a uh, a group of cheetah uh, sleeping by a baobab, and it really amazes me the way you you have been able to go close to them. is um, a group of elephants asleep.
again, I, I'd like to hear from you about your your way to organize the material. Like, I'd like to. Sure. Do you know how he got close enough to a cheetah, or how he achieved, you know, these sounds? How he gathered the field recordings? Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly in this case how he did that. I, I know he he waits and he he runs long cables. Yeah. I know he has he and a big bunch of mics, some very good mics and some very cheap mics that kind of work in, in good in different situations. And, uh, yeah. And just hopes that they kind of snuggle up to the mic at some point? Yeah, probably he leaves food. I mean, there is another recording where he put a mic inside, he recorded vultures, and he put a mic inside the carcass of a zebra. <laughs> is, is, is this one. Have you guys ever done undercover recordings? Yeah? You did? Huh? <laughs> 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 Not like that. <laughs> you never hide yourself inside a zebra <laughs> carcass. <laughs> Yeah, this picture. Huh? So this is taken from, from the 30s, and it's Papua New Guinea. And, and it was the first meeting. These people have never met. 
white people, never met uh, Western people. And I still see that, that glance sometimes. Uh, I don't have to go in very exotic places, but some people can look at the camera, don't see the camera and see you. Some other people are, get self-conscious. I get self-conscious. I get very self-conscious. And, uh, like, and I can tell either a microphone or a camera, really something really strong and deep changes in me, which I don't know what it is. And I can see people, like George Bush. He's, I can tell he is. I can tell. Or there, there is some people who, who have certain kind of... You can feel they, they relate to the camera or they relate to the microphone. Something clicks and not... They are self-conscious about it. And some other people don't. They're, and sometimes in, in some documentary you see this glance that goes really beyond. Uh, and I'll, I'll be curious to hear from you what, what you think is the difference. What do you, I mean, in this case, we know what's the difference. Like this person didn't even know I could have been, you know, the camera could have been this or a piece of apparel. Uh, but uh, right now, what makes a person being self-conscious in front of a mic or, or not? What do you think is the... Um, I, I, I've had a um, terrible time interviewing children. I find that they get not so much self-conscious, but that they treat the interview like a game. Mm -hmm. You know, where, like, especially very young children, I did a piece about um, alternative schools, and um, I was interviewing a kid who, like, I knew a little bit about him before I talked to him, but he was, like, five years old. And, um, and he just... He started answering, you know, he answered a question, he said, I don't know. And then, um, and then I asked him another question, he went, I don't know. And then it became a game, like he was saying, I don't know, because he knew that's what I didn't want him to say, but he didn't know what I wanted him to say, and I kind of didn't know what I wanted him to say. And it was like, it, I ended up using it because it was very funny, but um, I wonder if anybody else has had experiences interviewing children and if that's something you've run into. I've, I've actually interviewed a lot of children but they they actually were talkers strangely and they had surprised me with their responses almost like the microphone for some people is like I'm being listened to somebody's actually listening to what I'm saying and I think that comes out with certain kids and certain people sometimes because they see you have a microphone and maybe they're not listened to that much or nobody's heard this particular part of their life and it's exciting for them, and they tap into a part of themselves that they don't usually, because usually nobody's listening. Right. So I've actually had experience with microphones drawing things out of people as opposed to people drawing. I think it depends too on the type of person. Like I think some people are really excited about the idea of being on the radio, and it makes them want to really engage you, and then some people are really terrified of it. And you don't really know what type of person you're gonna get when you go into something. And just have to feel it out. But even when they're excited, they're sometimes still self-conscious. They just speak excitedly, and they're self-conscious. Yeah. What a smart person in the radio sense. Their idea of what right. someone should sound like exactly. on the radio. Or, yeah. or they'll try and talk in like a catchy, like fifteen-second thing. Yeah, like you can sound like <laughs> <It's> awful. <laughs> I think one of the reasons people are self-conscious on radio or video is because about the presentation this morning is that there's sort of an understanding or a sense that something you say is ephemeral and it can go away. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's going to be preserved and people can examine it yeah. is, is kind of scary. It's about judgment. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
See, one of the things you can do with the mic itself is interview kids without a mic first. <coughs> kind of lower their barriers that way. And if they're playing games, get the game out of the way first. And then the other thing is you can give them the mic, uh, depending on how much uh, risk is involved in that transfer of microphones. Uh, but sometimes when they have a mic, they'll just start doing stuff and saying interesting things that initially might not relate to what you're doing, but it might make them more comfortable slipping into what you're talking about. I think I think also it goes back to the to the wanting something as you, as you said before um, when she brought up with interviewing children like I wanted or I wanted them to tell something or I didn't know what I wanted but they they what children do all the time is this power play you know it's like they test your limits so they understand very well you want something from them and uh, and they decide if they want to give it or not and it's it's interesting I, I say, have you ever uh, and I've done this put yourself in their shoes and forced yourself to reveal something very personal on tape that you I broadcast? I have to to confess like it, it's probably it's one of the things makes me very nervous like I'm learning right now to include my voice. It's like I gave for granted for years that everything I say is going to be cut away because I'm so fascinating on those voices and I want to get those voices. So uh, like in my, my style, and I'm, I'm not a radio story person, it was like, but there was a part of sort of documentary aspects in my works and my voice was always going away. But at the same time, when, when I was uh, doing the interview, I always liked to get to that point. I always believed I want to have a conversation, first of all, because I was interested in that person uh, in, in general. And I, I thought that's the only way to go to something that really matters to me. It's like I, I tell my experience and I create some sort of empathy. Um, it's also less boring than having a list of things. But I have to confess that I've been for a long time kind of scared because I'm so self-conscious. And, uh, and I always put myself in that position that anyway, I, I won't be on tape. You know? And uh, so I, it's, it's, it's a great question because actually I think it's the it's much more, probably much more difficult to be interviewed than to interview, and uh, so. So, um, going back to um, getting me comfortable and getting where the microphone is, I, I found that if I can get them to like me, that's number one, and the second thing is to get them to be comfortable with me, and part of that is talking back to them, because I can always cut myself out later. I don't want to hear my own recording my own voice. I actually really dislike it. But I know that if I start talking to them, they start to feel like I'm a person too, and I have my own flaws, especially if I reveal some of those, not intentionally. But um, just getting them to feel like in their space where they're talking to a person and not talking to a device, and also feel like that they're not, I'm not expecting any actual answer from them. So I don't know what I want from them. So I'm not asking for specific things. I just want them to talk to me. And if we talk for two hours, it sometimes happens because I've talked to them. That, um, 
I can cut myself out and get some really good 15 minutes or even two minutes, and it's worth it for me to hear their voice instead of hearing their voice and trying to answer. Yeah, but you do. You give yourself a second chance. You know, they cannot. And they yeah. can feel that if I'm afraid to record myself, who am I to point something like that? You know, I have to be comfortable with being yeah. recorded for them to feel like. And also maybe show a little bit of I'm actually uncomfortable with this too, but I'm going to take this leap. Will you join me in my little adventure of being recorded? <clears throat> have you guys ever been in a situation where you wanted somebody to? tell you something and you tried this person to convince and you get to a point where it was really like please <laughs> yes yes can, can you I, I can't think of anything on that but, I, but I've done that before it's like kind of like dragging something out of somebody where maybe you've had the conversation before you on the air because I do a lot of like live interviews and that mm -hmm. kind of thing and then all of a sudden it's like the microphone the lights come on yeah. and all of a sudden you can't write and you, you try and paraphrase and try and re-ask the question and yes yeah, I I want to play you a, a, a file. Um, I recorded this in um, in in uh, in South Carolina, and I I like to, to to it's it's a bit long. It's about six minutes. Maybe I, I'm gonna cut through a little bit. Uh, and uh, this was a complete failure. For me, because I was doing this, um, I mean, it's part of a project I was doing, and I'm still working on it. And the the project is to record uh, linguistic enclaves in the United States, record languages that have their roots in the colonial time and they are still spoken, and have people uh, tell the history of the United States in those languages. And by languages that have their roots in the colonial time, I mean uh, like, for example, the Pennsylvania Dutch that the Amish speak, as with a very old uh, German dialect uh, from Pfalz, or uh, the Gala, or the, the French Creole, or uh, the Elizabethan language as spoken in the Chesapeake Bay, um, things like that. And I went to the Sea Islands in South Carolina wanting to record. Uh, Gala speakers, and uh, and the thing is that Gala is a is a is a cre is an English Creole that uh, is a mix of English and West African languages. It's, it's spoken very similarly in Sierra Leone. It's called Creole over there, but it's 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 disputed whether it originated on this side or on that side of the Atlantic, and it's very similar to a lot of other dialects of the Black Atlantic. And, well, this language is widely spoken there, but it's a mark of shame for a lot of people. So to ask to people to, to, to talk that language is, uh, is like basically to ask them to show you how ignorant they are. Um, and I, I first met some people in Charleston and Beaufort who are kind of well-educated uh, person that kind of want to bring the gala outside and want to want to make it acceptable, and a storyteller or a tourist guide. Um, <laughs> this person also want speak a gala that is very filled up with with English words, uh, so that 
people can understand it. But I wanted to, I mean, I wanted to go to people that really use it every day, and uh, and I, I, they tell me, okay, go to that gas station. Uh, like they, there's a lot of people brown bagging, and they they get out of work and they just sit there and get kind of drunk and. Um, you can talk to them, and nobody, of course, wanted to speak uh, speak it. And I, I found these two these two guys, and one guy really, I think he was really drunk. Uh, I think he really understood what I wanted, and I think he and he really told me, I don't want to give you what what you want. And I want to I want to play you this this file. I mean, and and then I like to hear what you think. What are y'all questions? The question is, can you tell me the history of the United States? Excuse me? Do you, can you tell me? The history of the United States. But speaking in Goa. No, because see, um, we do not speak um, about the United States. You don't? No, not in Goa. It was this um, has been from our ancestor, and we done what we have already have known. And if there has been something about the United States, I can guarantee you that you know more than me, but I will tell you something. If there's something in the United States that caused the Gullah, then they need to bring it on board. But tell me what you know. All I know is that I know that where my people come from is that where we could go and just be just myself. We have had humdi on the table and they even had nothing for eat. But then they took it, and then we, we were with not, nothing about it. But when we come back, we still pray to God, and we were thankful. But what is, what is in the uh, United States that where, where I would speak? Because we all have the accent of what we are. Because you know what? You know what? This is what, okay? We believe in the land, okay? We keep the land. We believe in the green. Okay, we believe in what we have to grow. And while we grow, we grow within the growth of everything we can um, achieve ourselves. Okay, so when I grow this here, I got the okra. Okay, I got the banana. No, no banana now here because they took that from us. Okay, we cannot grow that now. Okay, we got the okra. Okay. We got the tomato, okay? But then, when you talking about the cotton, no, they didn't know how to go to grow. You had to work for that. You had to work for the, for the cotton. C cotton, we did not grow cotton. And chuck the corn. And you had to chuck the corn. And then you had to show it. And, and cucumber was what we were making the money Cucumber? Cucumber was a little thing. And, and we do and not. And then they bring the then they bring the others. Then they bring the others. They bring the others. We been here, but they bring the others. And they call we lazy. We and then we lazy. And, and hey, and what the first one know? What the first one know about rice? And this was us. They could not cook. They could not grow, cook, no rice. What I they know about rice? I know, say, a black man made an Afrikaan 
and air conditioning and washing machine. They had me blind all my days. And all that time and Boy, all that stop. Time. Let them hey. white people go on. Hey, you go. I love them because all in bad, you know. Let me show all you. All in for bad. All in all for in bad. All in for bad now. But you got to watch them. See. Because once they don't get all the information they don't mm-hmm. want for no. And they live for lie. They ain't going to never put them on you. They, they go and for lie. They come back and look at you. I tell you, they for lie. Right? Why they for lie? That's why you call them for 4th of July. Yes, and 4th of July is 4th of their lie. lie. The lie say we going to free you for 4th of July. Who free who? It, it ain't their lie. That's why you call them 4th of July. Free who? I don't celebrate them things no more. What you talking about? I know better now. Let me show you something. Uh, what you going to show me? The, the, the thing the, they said that if, if, you, if you're free them, they're going to get too free, okay? And then the other thing, when uh, what he said, he said, man, you are emancipated. Ambassador who been? Well, how come this man could come up and say record us or know what something going on in the United States? No, watch him. He scared him. himself. He probably know more about my no, country than he, I know. No, wait, 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 he wait. scared himself. I'd like to, but I want to know how this thing called United States came about. I mean, it's not been there all the time, right? It was never here. I don't know if it been there all the time. All my people ever did was just struggle, struggle, struggle. If there had supposed to have been some education for me, I ain't went and looked into it because it didn't matter to me no more because something come good about it. God. Them people take me people and that's why you got them light skinned black people wrong you and them white people didn't like black people but what they did, they why the black man died with a bloody eye in the sea and they go have a wife and make children of them. That chance man too and for pay policy for make sure he stay alive. It's so much things to talk about and it's not a nice thing to talk about. So let it be. What do you guys do for a living? Oh, what I did a living, I work hard, keep my house clean and be honest. See, I don't mean to curse something like that. You, See. Said, you said you don't talk about the stuff in Gala. Yes, I'm not going to talk in Gullah now. Why? Because I'm not going to, um, um, this issue that I'm talking about right now, I'm not going to talk to you in Gullah now. But when you talk with your friends, you talk about the stuff in Gullah? Yes, we do. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's personal. Okay. Yeah, well see, what you're talking about right now, what you want to hear, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to talk to you in Gullah. So, how does this make you feel? What do you... I feel like a bad anthropologist. Uh, I, I feel that the, the subject feels fetishized and uh, uh, there's a lot of relativism in the dialogue and they are sensitive to it. They don't have a language for it in anthropology, but they're reacting and it's, it's a natural pushback. Um, anthropologists, in some sense, are journalistic. And journalists, in some sense, are anthropologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to borrow from each other. But I, I could feel the defensiveness, and I think that uh, were I in a similar situation, I would react similarly myself. Um, there's a lot of history that you summoned into their consciousness by the very question you, you asked. It might have been intended innocently, but uh, uh, it, it was a hot button. So. Do you think this was an answer they gave to me or not? I think it was 
not the answer you wanted, but it was, right. you know, but it's the answer that is. You know, uh, people will sometimes want to keep culture to themselves, lest it become diluted or right. uh, uh, devalued. And that's a very natural reaction to globalism, to uh, a kind of media hegemony that a lot of people feel. So, you know, coming in as an outsider, as an other, you'll, you may not be party to that dialogue. Absolutely. So you have to either find, you know, a lot of this conversation has been about trying to find uh, a, a, a quiet point, an on-par dialogue with the subject. Um, you didn't do that. Uh, you, right. didn't, you didn't find that. With sustained contact, that might that might happen. You know, mm -hmm. if you could let them know that you're not interested in this in, in some sort of transactional affair, mm -hmm. but a way to preserve their voice. You know, it is it was a transactional. It is worth effort. a try. You know, but uh, but to preserve the gullah and realize that you know, if they're going to talk in, in American English, uh, that's one thing. If they don't want to speak in gullah. Uh, it might fade away entirely, you know. Um, but I think I think in this case, uh, to be more of an anthropologist, less of a journalist, would have sued, would have been a better tactic. So the the but the only answer I can think about it is time. We don't always have people, that, do we? We yeah. never have. Uh, yeah. Is that what you mean by being more of an anthropologist? You know, doing the it can well, you know, there there are stories of, of people from Northwestern University here going to uh, South America and living as people do in the Amazon for years at a time. I don't think that's something that, that we have have time to do as radio producers or journalists, but there is a sensitivity in that that ultimately lets the subjects of study feel comfortable and feel that, that, that you want to understand them on their terms. And if you are going to be the medium for that experience to the rest of the world, that inspires great confidence. And that's exactly what you're looking for. So if there's such a thing, you know, like people talked about speed reading in the 70s and 80s, if there's such a thing as speed acculturation, you know, that would be wonderful to know about, but uh, I don't know a shortcut to that. I totally agree. I mean, what about like working with anthropologists, you know, like kind of getting them to be the one that's actually, you know. Yeah, it's 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 a problem though. I mean, an anthropologist, I mean, it's widely accepted that a field research can take four years to 15 years right. to a lifetime. And we don't have the time to do that. So for me, sometimes the, the answer was like, I provocate the sort of situation. Like I know, I know it's going to be a clash in a way. I, I know it's stupid. I know I can, for this project, I know I have the money to be around the US for three weeks. I drove 5,000 miles and I, I was like, no time, it was ridiculous. It's true, it's ridiculous. But at the same time, it's like, okay, then just, they just clash. They just have these kind of answers. But I, I totally agree with you. Like, to, yeah, people need time. And, sorry. I think it's one of those situations where you give a call back to HQ 
after a couple of days of this and go, you know, maybe we should change the question from tell us the history of the United States to tell us about some conflict or issue you're concerned with or a story that your grandmother told you. Don't even go into the name of their dialect. Just have them reach back into something that will naturally pull out that way of speaking. And um, I guess the other thing, too, is see if you can inspire um, with some local folks by calling ahead and just sort of saying, like, I know you guys have a community meeting scheduled for this day. Is it okay if I ask people afterwards some questions or contact a teacher? You know, and say, I know you teach at community college their way. Your well, classmates would be willing to sit with me and record, record this X, Y, or Z. But the first thing I would have done is call back and go, this question is not working. You know, this is not the question to get what you want to get. Yeah, I have two answers for you. And I mean, the first answer to the second point is, I of course do what you, what you describe, and I haven't found a place where it's more difficult to talk to people in that way than the United States. Uh, because there is such an emphasis of security, privacy, and commodization of human relationship. It is really difficult. And sadly enough, this has been picked up by minorities. That sometimes, like, you know, you try to talk with, uh, with uh, uh, tribal councils of Native Americans for months and write and subscribe to their blogs, get insulted. <laughs> Suddenly there is an incredible defensiveness. So, like, the date approaches and the only thing you do is like you show up. And uh, I totally agree with you, like sometimes it works and that's really the way I like to work, but sometimes you really, either you get somebody who's been trained and coached to tell you something that you know is scripted, or otherwise you really, I mean, in a lot of other places in the world you can really show up. Whose idea was the question to tell us the history of the United States? Sorry? Whose idea was that question? It's my, my idea. But it's like, this is the second answer I have for you. I mean, what you say makes sense. I'm just trying to, to explain my, my point, you know, in doing it. And, uh, and, and I really believe, like, I mean, nowhere I like in this country, there is gated community. There is, you don't see people, houses going around in the street. You don't see where people live. It is like, it's, it's difficult here. To, to go and, and I think like, well, that's probably the right place to just show up to people. Uh, you don't go to certain neighborhoods because it's dangerous, because it's segregated, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the other thing is, history of the United States project, I liked to make, this was my questions, and first of all, I don't know the history of the United States because I am Italian and I, and I, I assume that I'm ignorant about it, you know, as, um, as a lot of Europeans uh, wrongly uh, assume that Americans don't know anything about the history of Europe, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I assume that we don't know, I mean, a lot of people don't know anything about the vastity and diversity and, and, and culture of, and of this country and also history of this country. Uh, so I, w I like to put myself in that role of, of ask the question in the most stupid way possible. You know, because also thinking, you know, like when you have to do uh, the, 
the, the citizenship quiz, and I like you the list of the presidents. They ask you those kind of things. Like this is the history of the United States in in that booklet for 20 pages. You know, like the Declaration and blah, blah. and uh, uh, so I kind of liked to to put myself in that stupid situation in a way, like to to ask a stupid questions and uh, and and to and to create that sort of yeah, wherever we start. I mean, it's. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with the issues of authenticity when you're recording people speaking a language that you don't understand, and then you're you're creating a, an essentially a music piece out mm -hmm. of that? Um, how do you know when you're splicing and dicing and you're mixing things up yeah. that you're not creating a phrase in their language that's completely offensive? And how do you how do you deal with how do you have is there anybody from those cultures that actually listen to the finished product and and, and kind of can comment to you on that? Is is there like, what is your approach to that? Uh, it's a good question. I try to get a translation after, okay. and I try to. Of course, there is a risk, but I try to. to yeah, I try to get a translation. And, and to and to figure out. So you do take that extra step because we've we've had several artists wanting to make pieces that do essentially what you're doing, create a music piece because they really like the sound of that language. But there's always that danger that you're you're really well. On the other side, I I think it's interesting, and the more and more I realize. As I said before, I play with my own voyeurism and exotism, and like fascination for exotism. And it's possible that some pieces are made on that. They're they're charming qualities made on that, and hopefully they will lose it in a while. Like because if if that is not exotic anymore, nobody will see that as a plus. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's a, that's another risk, and I try to get out of it. There's many artists that deal with the English language in that way too, and, and cut it up and, and create you know soundscape pieces out of out of language using various techniques, yeah. um, sound manipulation, um, and and it's I, I think it's fine when you do it in your own language because you the outcome is something you can connect with right away. Right. But as an artist who doesn't understand that other language, I mean, how do you know you're being true to that that culture? I'm not true to that culture. Okay. I'm not, I think. Actually, yeah, I kind of really liked your question that you let tell me the history of the United States because it really is very honest in placing you in exactly who you are and what you want. You're sort of saying, you know, I'm an Italian person who likes the way your voice sounds. And I think it's exotic. And I'm voyeuristic. And would you be willing to share that with me? He didn't and, say and, that. Hmm? He didn't say that. I think it just is clear. I think it, it, it's, it, it's obvious in that case. And, and in this case, the, the, the people said no. And I think, that's, I, th I think there's a fairness to that. You know, you lay it out and people can decide whether... Maybe, I don't know, maybe they didn't say no because they understood what was going on. But my sense is they understood and, and made a decision. And, and I, in some ways, I feel like that's more honest than the process I was describing earlier of kind of being 
a little bit vague about when the interview is going and what I actually want. And, I mean, that's something I would do within my own culture, and I think that the, 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 there are different ethics that apply there. So I, I like that you didn't necessarily get what you wanted, but I, I think I think it's fair to say this is why I'm going to give me this, and it could be real or something new. I feel like they, I mean, they did kind of answer your question. They answered why they weren't telling you that that's not, that's not what they used to go for. They talk about what they the United States. And when they went into, you know, starting to talk about farming and what they grow, I feel like it was almost a clue to you that, why don't you ask us about this? Like, we can talk about right. work and job what we do day to day. Like, it was almost like they were, they were trying to lead you in the brought up that you tried to talk to Native Americans here and they were defensive, but I feel like maybe you're, you're being defensive because you're, you're asking us for, like, why did this happen? How, how can we work around it? But really, our culture in this room as audio people is that we value the recording as important and, and should be made. For them, maybe that's not, that's a different culture, that recording, um, but the, the, the word, yeah. I mean, that's it the thing be, with yes. cultures, it is that they've been so, um, so many people come to them that they have these mechanisms, and I think that's, that's one of the things here in the United States, is that they actually have protocols, and it's like, well, what are we going to get out of it? Yeah, you know, and that's, and that idea of reciprocity is something that I think needs to be right. kind of always in the back our mind, even when we're being empathetic and sharing stories, but to also give something sometimes with real value. Something as simple as giving a CD to the person or playing the piece for the person who you yeah, but this interviewed. Is... But I think, at least, especially with Native cultures, it's just, there's definite history of being exploited for their culture, and they're tired of it. Yeah, right. And I think it's fine. I, I, I can corroborate that with even contemporary American mainstream culture because I, I go out and document writers at various readings just performing their work. And it takes some time. You know, you, 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 you want to be transactional and say, okay, if you give me this, this opportunity to record you, I'll give you a disc back. But ultimately, what you're working for is an exchange of faith something that's quite immaterial. And when that sets up, then you have great freedom. And right now, I'm, I'm very pleased to say I have that kind of freedom of being able to move around the city of Chicago and establish working relationships with various venues and document uh, authors, at, almost at will, almost at will. Uh, but there, there are permissions at stake. And you know, knowing, that, knowing that, that you can have a place in the, in the situation without upsetting it is very important. I know, sometimes it's, sometimes I think, I mean, I see, for example, how black music has been sold away in the past 100 years, I mean, stolen away, you know? Like a lot of modern pop music, like the whole history of rock and roll has been, has been based on they not being able to play for white people, their stuff, and, uh, and it's like, I think, I don't know, I see a lot, I, don't, I think it's like, no matter your intention are good or bad, 
if you give them time, them, I mean, whoever you want to, <laughs> yeah, a tricky word. Uh, human being will give you trust. Uh, so sometimes it's interesting to just take that moment of clash because because it's interesting. It it brings up the misunderstanding. It brings out the the conflicts. It brings out the tension. Uh, a, a lot of people gained. I don't know. There, there is a lot of great people. I think about Alan Lomax. His, his work is really a lot of time, a lot of commitment, a lot of. It's, it's really a good example of somebody who, who got into it. You know, you got into this. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of other people got into it and just sold the stuff away. And and I think sometimes, well, I could be it. I I, I want I want the sounds. I want to make my pieces. I'm exoticizing. I don't know. It's an open question. I I don't feel that innocence at all. So, yeah. Well, I think that's it. Okay. <laughs>